Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So uh, today we have another foreigner just like myself and I think that this foreigner has definitely come to the U.S. and has made his mark. So without further ado, Jody Bansal, welcome on board today. Thank you, glad to be here. So Jody, how was uh, life for you growing up in India? So I grew up in a small town in India and uh, it was, uh, you know, my dad was a small businessman, kind of what you would call a mom and pop shop. So growing up there, it's, uh, you know, part of my life was also helping my dad with his, uh, with his business. And his business was selling, you know, irrigation machinery to farmers there, to small farmers. And I would go on the shop after school and help him out. And uh, yeah, that's been, uh, uh, that was part of it. But I, I was fascinated by science and technology. So, you know, I went to study engineering. Then that brought me here to to U.S. and Silicon Valley after that. And why why the U.S.? At what point were you like, you know what, I may I may take a look at what the U.S. looks like? You know, it was mostly startups and Silicon Valley at that point. Because when I was, I was so fascinated by startups. Just, the, you know, I, I saw small businesses and I went to, a, a, you know, one of the top schools in India to study computer science. And I was always, uh, uh, I always wanted to just combine the two, that software engineering, and uh, using using my computer science, software engineering skills, and building companies and startups. And at that time, to me, it's like Silicon Valley is the place to be. That's where things are happening. That's where all of this happened. So I said, I need to find a way to go to go to Silicon Valley and see how this works. And so that's when I started uh, uh, started to apply for for jobs and find a way to uh, way to get here to Silicon Valley. Got it. So so what was that uh, process like until you finally landed your job? <laughs> you know, it's. Uh, Landing the job was a little bit complex because I was just uh, pretty much fresh out of school. Uh, but I had a, uh, my school had high reputation, et cetera, so that, that helped. Uh, but I wanted to work in startups, and get, getting a job in a startup at that point wasn't that easy. Like You could easily get a job in a larger company, like a Microsoft or something, but getting a job in a startup was harder. Uh, but it's, it, it took some effort. It's really once you come here... Then I hate to say, but the, the immigration system is just too complex. Like, you know, it's like you want to, uh, it's uh, once you're here, the, you know, the challenges you have when you're an H-1B, getting to a green card and all of that. So I, I really hope uh, that especially for 
for like you know uh, immigrants here who are coming for uh, you know creating businesses and in science and technology we need to simplify the immigration system for sure i agree with you and 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 why would you say that as an immigrant it was tougher to to get to land a, a job with a startup well because the startup has to process your visa and you know it's uh, as a startup it's uh, there is a cost associated with it there is complexity with it you know you the normally as a small startup you don't even have a hr department so if you how do, you don't know how to process visas and uh, for for people you hire and then you it gets more and more complex from there right so it's if we simplify the entire process it gets easier for for even for smaller startups to uh, to hire talent from all over the world yeah no absolutely i mean in with my previous startup i remember when we were in the very early days we tried to mm -hmm. sponsor the visa for for one of our senior engineers and i think we paid something like almost 6000 bucks and he got rejected it was a real bummer yeah and that, that's the challenge like you know it's the and many startups once it gets rejected once you will be very uh, you know you'd be afraid to do it again for a second senior engineer for a third senior engineer so and you just need to, to simplify that got it so so the uh, the first job when you landed your first job that was netlands in cupertino is that right mm, yes so so how big of um i would say of a shock was for you coming from India and all of a sudden you see like, hey, this is the, the Bay Area. <laughs> I'm sure it was shocking for you. <laughs> it definitely is. You know, there is always the cultural shock of moving to a different country, yes, right? But there is also yeah. the professional shock of, you know, being in a, in a startup environment like that, you know, and this is Bay Area, Silicon Valley, there is high pace. You come in these startups and you, you learn a lot. Like, so my, the first startup I worked in was, was pretty small at that point. It was like uh, 25, 30 employees. And we were we were building like some really cutting edge technology and products, and then then you know when I went through the journey, I realized like you know we were building these great products, uh, uh, and the technology was so cool, but the, we didn't we didn't find a way to sell it. So no one was willing to buy the the product we were building, and that's that was kind of a learn you know was also a shock and learning experience as well that startups are not just about building technology or products. A startup is really about generating revenue and 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 selling and you know. So it's it's uh, there's a lot of learning, you know, when when you get into the startup land in Silicon Valley, uh, and and uh, and you go through the journey. And what were like, for example, like for you, like once you were there, like what were like the um, I would say like the first couple of like big lessons that you learned from being in the in this ecosystem. I think the first couple of lessons, the number one was, uh, you know, so before I started my own startup, App Dynamics, I actually worked in three startups. And yeah. each one of them were different lessons. The, the first one at this company, uh, my, in the very first company, was that you got to build a product that people want to buy. It's, it doesn't, it's not about the technology. No one cares about the technology if it doesn't solve a real business problem. So we, you know, this, uh, this first startup was started by, like, you know, PhDs from, uh, uh, from, from, from top places, really cutting edge technology. But we, we couldn't. So that was my lesson number one, like never build a product that no one wants to buy. Uh, it's it's as an engineer, there's nothing more frustrating than that, really, right? So that's was the lesson number one. In my in the, in, my, in the in the second startup I went to, you know, the my lesson number uh, lesson there was, you know, the company did well uh, and they kind of grown to 15, 20 million dollars of revenue, but then they just stalled, and it was very clear, like you know, it's like the company has to any startup for them to keep growing, they have to keep evolving themselves and transforming themselves to the next adjacent set of problems to the next you know evolution in the business and the market that's happening and if you if you if you 
if as a company if you're static and you're not constantly transforming uh, as a startup you're not gonna uh, not, not gonna thrive so right that's that was definitely uh, de- definitely a lesson in my in my in my in my second one you know when i went to my third startup there was a there was you know and the third startup was was quite more successful we sold for about you know 375 million dollars uh, but even there the lessons learned were like you know that the for a for a business to really scale you got to get the you know the sales scaling to work because if you if you're if you go to market and sales scaling doesn't work you're, it doesn't yeah. matter you, you, how your product is eventually or you know uh, and and uh, eventually your business cannot cannot grow right so if you don't get the sales execution right on that so it's it's got just it. uh, every startup different lesson so so would you say that perhaps that the frustration that you had as a as an engineer where you were building products and 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 you couldn't really see like completely that product market fit happening would mm-hmm. you say that that may have triggered you jumping from let's say netlens to your next company which was data mm-hmm. data sweeps and then from mm-hmm. that to willy technologies yes mm-hmm. got it and how did your responsibilities or your role say change let's say from like netlens to data sweeps to willy technologies you know kind of the engineering path you know i started almost as entry level uh, pretty much fresh out of college so entry level engineer became a senior engineer principal engineer architect uh, and i i like to 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 build products uh, and uh, build some good good code so that's that's what that's how my responsibilities was increased got it so so yourself um you were at willy technologies mm-hmm. and and then as you were mentioning there was a transaction that happens Did you always knew that at one point you were going to be our or launch your, your own company and, and be an entrepreneur or was this something that all of a sudden happened? No, I always knew that when I when I when I you know when I was in college back in India and when I came here to the Silicon Valley that was my goal. You know I it. I it was actually it was it was a little bit hard because I came here on a work visa. On a work visa you're not allowed to start your own company. So you have to wait until you get your green card. Uh, so that's it if I, and in some ways like if i got my green card earlier i probably would have started a start, jumped on starting my own company earlier so you were just waiting for the green card so i guess i guess uh, how long did it take you to get your green card uh, it's uh, it took me seven years wow that's uh, that's really unbelievable so so once you receive your green card then you know at what point do you decide hey it's time for me to really make it happen Now you know, it's a, well it's so green card does only one thing like it at least allows you to legally start a business uh, if you're not on a green card you cannot legally start start a business which is completely absurd like doesn't make any sense to me uh, but but uh, but once that happened at least i had the freedom i always had ideas that i wanted to you know do things better right so this uh, uh, my last startup wiley was acquired by a larger large company computer associates at that time and um you know i would see from that vantage point that there was a big pain uh, in in the market for you know for for a lot of people like this you know now you hear the phrase of software is eating the world everything is a software business and all that right so this was back in 2007 2008 when this this term wasn't coined but it was still very clear that everything in the world is going to be more and more and more software so the my thesis for abdynamics was simple like you know it's uh, that if everything is going to run on software someone has to make sure that if something goes wrong in the software you have a ability to fix it to troubleshoot it and to fix it so that's and and it's and as a software engineer myself i would say like it's so hard like something goes wrong to to diagnose what's wrong and how to how to fix it so hard 
And if like, you know, we're going to have like, you know, our airlines working on software and our banks working on software, everything working on software. So it's someone has to have the tools to fix it. And that's what, you know, so if I now that I, I don't have legal restrictions to do it, you know, I, I'm really passionate about solving this problem. You start kind of burning with that, like, you know, if you don't solve this, someone else will solve this. Yeah, I, I, I you know, I, I thought, OK, let's go. Let, let's go ahead and start this. Got it. So what was the uh, process of coming up with the concept of uh, app dynamics? Well, so this really was the process that I, I wanted to solve the problem of that people, uh, if people have complex software, if something goes wrong, that AppDynamics should be able to fix it for them or to help them diagnose what the problem is and get to the root cause very fast and things like that. Right? So, so when I was still in my, my old job and uh, I started working on this concept a little bit on my nights and weekends and um, and then I started pitching to VCs because I had to go and I didn't have, you know, I was a engineer in my late 20s, didn't have much, uh, uh, you know, uh, much money to bootstrap uh, for too long myself. So I started pitching to VCs at that time. And, uh, you know, it, it, I had a lot of rejections. You know, people were like, you know, you're a first time founder, you're not managing any person, you know, it's uh, you don't have business experience, all sort of things people will, will, will tell me. And uh, I had like about 20 rejections. Uh, and then, uh, you know, but through every rejection you learn, you learn like, you know, okay, because I would, I would always make a habit of asking why, you know, it's like, if, can you, can you help me by telling me why are you not investing or what's not right? And, you know, sometimes investors will tell you some, uh, like the truth, sometimes they won't, but you will learn from it. So my story started to evolve. And then one day what happened was like, you know, one of the, uh, investors I was talking to was, uh, uh, he asked me this question, like, do you really believe in what you're saying? I said, yeah, of, of course I do. And he said, okay, why are you still in your job then? And to me, it's like, yeah, that's a good question. I don't have the answer to this. So, uh, <laughs> and so, right, right. so next day I quit my job. It's like, okay, if I really believe in this, let me quit my job. <laughs> wow. And then like, you know, things started to happen. And then I had my, you know, uh, uh, like my, my series A venture capital uh, from a couple of investors after that. I will, we'll talk about that in just a second. So, so how did you, um, so I guess with the founding team, what was the founding team of, of AppDynamics? So uh, I was the sole founder uh, as the as the company got started because company was starting fast and you know I, I wanted to look for for co-founders but you know it's it's uh, things moved fast and I I couldn't uh, find uh, you know the right people on time uh, and so I was I was sole founder as the company but then once the I had my initial uh, series A capital of uh, five and a half million dollars uh, then I wanted to b- bring on a founding team and bring on the, the some of the best people I knew. Uh, to come and, and and work on this problem. So I guess your let's say your first key hires. What were you really looking for? You know, my what I was looking for were people who would uh, who were really good at what they do. It's a really top notch uh, top notch technologist because ours was a very technical uh, and complex product that we that we wanted to build. Uh, so that was one thing. But second is people who could really thrive in the startup and the uncertainty. There's, it's, and one thing I've learned over time is like, you know, people, there are some people who just thrive in the early stage uncertainty, and there's some people who get too scared or, you know, of the early stage uncertainty. And, and, and that is totally fine if that's, that's who you are. But when I, when I look in the early stage, I look at like people who would enjoy that, people who will thrive in it, people want to, you know, they like the blank slate nature of things. Uh, and so my, my first hire who became our CTO over time, uh, uh, you know, was one of the smartest engineers I knew, and I knew like that's how we thrived in. So I was, I, I need to convince this guy to come in and join me as the as a, as a first person in the team. Right, right. And so, so I guess for the um, 
especially for the people that are listening that are perhaps not, not that familiar with AppDynamics, what ended up being the business model? So AppDynamics was an enterprise uh, software company. So most uh, think of the business model as enterprise SaaS, uh, mostly subscription revenue as we, as, as we grew. And we would go and mostly sell into mid-sized to large enterprises. So like, say, uh, you know, a, a Wells Fargo, a Bank of America, J.P. Morgan Chase, or a FedEx, or a you know, United Airlines. All of these companies have large software systems like online banking and you know, travel booking and, on, and flight reservation systems and everything. And we will sell AppDynamics as a software to them so that they could use that, use AppDynamics to... To, to monitor what was going on in these software systems. And if something went wrong, they would use AppDynamics to figure out how to fix it. Got it. And would you say that for you, I mean, it was a, quite a journey, right? Because you're coming now to AppDynamics from being an engineer in, in, in a bunch of different companies. So how was it for you to all of a sudden jump from like really, you know, just do code and, and be on the engineer side to really be mm -hmm. on the front and center and and selling the vision and the mission of the business as the CEO. Yeah, it's a, it's it's an evolution. You know, it's uh, one thing I've I learned there is like you gotta you gotta learn the skills that you don't have really really fast. That's the most important thing as an as as an entrepreneur, right? So uh, before I started AppDynamics, I never managed a single person. Uh, you know, so I, I was an engineer doing uh, doing good stuff as an engineer, but I had to learn how to manage people. How do you how do you tell the story? How do you create the vision? You know, how do you how do you inspire people? Uh, you know, there is there's a lot of learning that happens around it. Like you know, and so and a lot of of some of it happened through all those rejections I got from investors, right? So when I when I the first in, uh, pitch I had to investors was very technical uh, because that's how that's how I was I was describing things as an engineer, and then I realized like you know that's not really going to work. You have to you have to create a broader story and a vision that you can that you can uh, excite the investors and and, and sell uh, sell on that vision right but when you're recruiting people after that it's the same thing right you know the you, you got to excite people about something about a big vision around it you know how you have to tell the right uh, you know the, the right kind of story that will help you get to that vision right so that's there's there's, there's a lot of uh, you know a lot of learning initially that happened but it's it's you know what i learned was like startups go through these stages right so as a as a, as a founder you go through your stages of, of evolution. You know, is the stage one race, you've got to learn how to raise capital. Stage two, once you have some capital or way to start your business, you have to learn how to recruit a team. You know, stage three, once you have a team and some capital, you've got to build your, find your product market fit. So there's a lot of learning that goes into that. So then you know, that's the, the, once you find your product market fit, the learnings change to, now it's like, you know, how do you figure out a sales model or, you know, where, how, how are you going to sell the product that, you know, you have the, you have a product market fit now, how are you going to sell it? And then like, you know, that's, that's your, your stage four and stage five after that is like, you know, it becomes scaling the organization. It's the, once you have, you figure out how do you, you know, you, you have a, you, know, you have a product, you have a team, you have funding, you have, you know, you figure out how to sell it, but then it all becomes about organizational scaling. Like, you know, your number of people are growing. You have to evolve as a leader, as a CEO. You have to learn how to manage organization, you know, how, uh, yeah, all, all those kind of skills. And, and as you're talking, you know, going through all these stages, were there, was there like, um, like a point for you, Jyoti, where you were like, I think we're onto something here? <laughs> yes, it takes, you know, it, it takes some time to get there. Though. Like, you know, the one thing with startups, uh, uh, 
unfortunately is there are a lot of lows and there are a lot of highs but there are a lot of lows right so there are there are moments where you feel like it's not going anywhere this is going to shut down and there are moments where like you know you're it's the, i like you're so full of excitement and and uh, and the and the promise there but it it's uh, uh it it does take time to get to a point where you know like you know for sure it, it's happening you know i started app dynamics in 2008 so 2008 you know and you know 2008 9 10 were really bad on uh, the 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 market the yeah. the you know the financial markets so the fundraising environment was really 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 bad right so to me it was also clear like you know if i don't get to the next milestones you know get don't get my product right and don't get the revenue going there is no next round of capital coming right so it's uh, and that drives like some of that hunger like you know but once you kind of get start coming out of it you know that is uh, that you're fighting for your survival uh, and then you know that you know you're uh, the, the the point where where you start feeling the real confidence is when you're very happy customers you know to me it's like once i started seeing okay i have so many happy customers and my customers really like the product at that point i started feeling okay now we i know how we have something like this was just a promise for a long time but now it's like if we have uh, all these customers who really uh, are 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 happy with what we are doing and want to recommend us to so many other people uh, we're going to make something out of this got it got it and you were talking about the lows and and i'm sure that you know receiving investor rejections was a, was definitely not fun you know i've just just out of curiosity how many mm-hmm. how many investor rejections jyoti would you say you you guys probably got in this journey i got 20 about 20 Twenty investor rejections. Mm-hmm. Just out of curiosity, did you did you ever like uh, talk talk with those guys back after after your transaction? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, many of them reach out to me now. It's like you know, oh, that was a uh, one of our biggest mistakes. We didn't invest in it. Oh my god! Wow. Yeah. So so obviously uh, to really scale this up and and moving through the stages that that you were mentioning when you're you know obviously you you guys scale this up quite um, substantially. Mm-hmm. So how much capital did you guys raise in total for the business? uh so by the time we were going ipo and uh, and we sold the company uh, right before that we raised about 200 uh, 220 million dollars got it and and i mean the investors that you had were really impressive i mean kleiner perkins lightspeed greylock battery ivp or or even general atlantic mm-hmm. so what was i mean this was your first rodeo i mean your first company mm-hmm. i mean i'm sure that Now, Jyoti, when whenever you say, "Oh, I'm doing something," people are throwing money at you. Literally, it's easy to raise money, but the first time it's tough. So, mm-hmm. how how did you really, um, I would say, engineer your way towards getting in front of these guys? <laughs> well, uh, to get in front of the the in these guys, uh, when you, it's very early, very early, it's a, it's a little bit about like you have to find the right network. Like you know, you can't. If you if you just connect to a top venture capitalist cold, there's a high chance they're not going to take you seriously or they're not going to. Uh, so you it, but if places uh, ecosystems like Silicon Valley, Bay Area, you know the the New York uh, tech ecosystem now and many of these ecosystems there's there's only a few degree of connections where you can get uh, get to people at least get an intro to. So that's the first step like getting an intro to someone right. But after that you have to have a you know you have to tell a tell a powerful story to get these investors excited like so you know and I, i i went through all those rejections and everything right what i learned from that is like the story that that you have to tell is really comes down to three things one is you know the number one is like you know if could this be a, you have to make a case that how could this be a billion dollar company the investors i have learned is like you know they what the the, the way the these all these vcs work is they their approaches go big or go home Right. they don't want to invest in a company that they 
don't think can get there. So right. So and and it's they look at like you know the business model is they're going to invest in ten companies. One of them is going to be that the the the, the big hit. And you know you have like another two or three that are going to be moderate hits, and the rest will shut down, and that that is fine, right? That's how they they look at it. So uh, and, and so what you have to tell to, to to convince them is like if everything goes right, and there's a high chance not everything goes right. If everything goes right, this could be a billion dollar company. And so that's that's the first part of like the story. I would I would I would make the case around. The second part of the story was showing validation, validation and proof points, right? So in the in the very early early stages, the validation was just like you know proof points from the customer conversations I had, like, you know, if, if there was a product like this, like, you know, these are the proof points of all the people who want to buy this. And when you, when the company started getting bigger, the validation and proof point is the, is, is your actual customers and, you know, what they are saying about your product and, you know, how, how are you doing in the market, et cetera. The third thing was all the lag of the story is always like, why you? So it's, it's why you as a founder, why you as a founding team, why you as a company at some point, like, why are you going to be the winner? Because any anytime there's a there's a there's a market where there's a opportunity to be you know a billion dollar company, there will be different uh, there will be a lot of different competitors. A lot of people will 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 compete to be the winner there. So why what makes you the winner as a either as a as a person as a founder or as a company or as a team or your some something you have to tell. So I learned this like if you tell the story with those three pillars, uh, you know you can get the the right kind of investors to get behind you. I love it. I love it. And you were talking about building your network. I mean, I, I, mm -hmm. I do agree that you need the network to get the money in, you know, to really get in front and also close the right investors, mm -hmm. but then also to to build a company with the right people around you. So, I mean, you are from India. I mean, I'm, I'm from Spain. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm also a foreigner and I understand, you know, how tough it is to come here and, and build a network. So so what kind of advice would you give to those people that are, you know, perhaps starting from from scratch, building their network? I would say, you know, um, like there are, say if you are interested in uh, networking with investors, you know, uh, there are investors who are looking at uh, getting help from from different people, like, you know, the venture capital firms need help from marketers, from, you know, product managers, from technologists to understand the market. So you can get involved in creating network by offering something as something as help. Uh, you know, online places, you know, uh, are definitely important place to to network as well. Like, you know, you want to follow the right people on Twitter and LinkedIn and social media and kind of like track them. And uh, so it, there are there are uh, interesting ways to create your network. But also, like, you know, if you're working in uh, in it's if if you are uh, uh, working, say, in a startup, uh, I would I would encourage people to be curious about other aspects of a startup like you know how does how does the sales work and how does marketing work and you know if you're working in sales how does engineering work how does technology work so you you get this kind of a broader broader sense where you can offer offer your help to more more and more people in the network got it so so going back to um app dynamics mm -hmm. how many employees did you guys have before the the acquisition uh, at the time of acquisition we had about i would say 1200 or so employees 1200 got it got it so so i guess i guess for you i mean this was a tremendous experience right because building a company from let's say a couple of people to 1200 is is remarkable so would you say like that you yourself as as a leader and also as a manager would you say you know that it it had times of adjustment and and really big learnings along the way to really manage that that growth uh, definitely yes because, uh, you have to uh, 
there are so many different um, adjustments you have to do. And you, as a leader, you you evolve, you grow. You know, what I learned uh, at, uh, at AppDynamics going through that journey, right? So the, the job of the, the startup CEO as, a, as, the, as the leader, it comes down to a few things. Number one, that you, you have to set the vision that will excite people because people are not going to work. In, startups are hard and challenging. So if, if the vision is not exciting or people, are, you, you can't tell the, the vision right, and that uh, it won't work. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing of the uh, second thing is to create alignment. That's the job of the CEO: alignment between sales and marketing and product and customer support and investors and board. Because you you want to make sure that everyone is marching towards the same direction or the same goals and everyone is aligned. Because it's uh, your lack of you uh, always in a startup. You have uh, you you don't have enough resources. Uh, you know the the pressures are high. So alignment is is the job of uh, of, of the leader. Number three, I look at the job of the leader is to is to set the tone for execution uh, in a, in a startup. That it's uh, what is the you know be make the company and the, your business very execution oriented. That you drive results, you strive for results. Everyone is uh, is is executing uh, uh, hard towards it. And then fourth thing, which I you know uh, I've learned as a startup CEO is your job is to fill the gaps. It's like you know if if you will have you will the there'll be gaps that you will have to own as the as the CEO. Like some initially, you know, I've done job of a CFO of the company. I've done job as head of sales of the company. I had a job of marketing of the company. I've done job, obviously, as engineer writing code in the company. But I look like, you know, you don't want to fill the gap for too long. But whenever there's a gap, your job is to fill the gap. Uh, and, you know, initially, you may be doing a whole bunch of things as, as, as the company is very small. Uh, but then, and you have more and more people that are coming in over time. But still, there will be gaps on on things that that you have to you have to do as a as a startup CEO and leader. Got it, got it. And and I guess in your case, um, Jyoti, why 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 did you decide to um, to step down as the CEO and and really step it up as the chairman? Yeah, it was uh, you know I was uh, CEO uh, leading from the from the driver's seat for the first uh, eight years. And as we are going uh, uh, about to go public, uh, it's uh, you know we wanted to bring in uh, uh, bring in some more of the uh, let's say the, the public company operational experience uh, to get to the to the next level. So I I took the chairman role of, uh, at that point so I could focus more on the the strategy and the vision and the kind of uh, expanding the, the product portfolio and the, uh, and how, how do we evolve as a next level in the market uh, and focus less on the day-to-day operations. Got it. And you actually got David uh, Watwani from um, Adobe. He was uh, yes. there, the, uh-huh. uh, the, the digital chief, the digital chief. So how did you find him and, and convince him to, to join you guys? Well, you know, we were doing very well as a company, right? You know, uh, we were all, the company was, we were worth about, you know, $2 billion in private markets at that point. You know, so it was, uh, it, it was in some ways, uh, uh, a very exciting opportunity for, for someone to come in and, and work on taking the company to the next level from there. Uh, so it's, uh, yes, we were, we were, uh, we, we did a, we did a thorough search. We spent a lot of time on, uh, Looking at the right kind of person that we can we can bring in, uh, will bring in that experience uh, that we needed for the next level. Yeah, you know, and, and this is really important because I mean you've seen this on on companies like LinkedIn on how Reed you know brought on board um, you know the, the new CEO and and really you know took it to the next level. And and I also, for example, have a, a friend that just recently brought a, 
a CEO and also put himself as a, as a chairman. This is, this is probably one of the biggest decisions that one has to make. Uh, I, guess, I guess in your case, what were some of the absolute check marks that you needed to see on, on this individual? I would say the, the 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 number one thing was like someone who would uh, create continuity in the culture. Like you know, as as a CEO of the company, you know, you know, I, the company started on my couch, really as one person and me, right? And we were by the time we we were looking for uh, to bring in someone, we were already about a thousand employees, and the company culture was something I took a lot of pride in, and uh, like, and I wanted to make sure that whoever comes in. Uh, understands the culture and creates a continuity in the culture and uh, and maintains that. So that was really absolutely the number one thing for me uh, when I was looking for someone. Uh, uh, on uh, the the number two thing is someone who would also believe in uh, you know kind of the long term uh, uh, you know uh, opportunity and potential and vision of how the company could grow and uh, grow and evolve and we could uh, we could we could fit, we could work closely together and uh, towards that direction. Got it. Got it. And for you, I mean, seven years driving, uh, really the, the um, and leading the business. Did you find it hard the transition and letting go and becoming the chairman? Uh, yes, it, it it is very hard to do that. I, w- I would be I would be lying if I said no. It was easy to do that. Got it. So was there like a breakthrough moment for you that it was yeah, like? Okay. I, I would say. Uh, it, it, it is very hard because like the company was so used to me being CEO and you know uh, for so long. Uh, so when we had a new CEO in the in the seat, we were uh, you know I what I realized is like you know the the best thing is for me to to actually take a break and take a sabbatical so that allow gives the new CEO some space and the company uh, learns to uh, to operate operate in that that faster. Got it. Got it. And and you were also planning to do an IPO, and and in fact, you announced a, 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 the acquisition, right? Like I mm-hmm. think it was like a day before the IPO, which was kind of like shocking for for everyone. So walk us through the shift in strategy of uh, going, you know, from an IPO to finally pursuing the uh, the M and A process instead. You know, that's the the interesting thing uh, for us that we were we were on the path to IPO. We didn't have a a strategy to to sell the company or a plan to sell the company, right? So our roadshow was going very well. We were about to go IPO, and Cisco came in uh, about ten days before the IPO, and they said, "Hey, instead of going IPO, how about uh, you know we uh, we acquire you?" And uh, we we had a relationship with Cisco. They were a customer for a long time. We were working on some business partnership, etc., as well. Uh, and uh, we said. No, we are on the path for IPO. We're not. We're not gonna. We're not looking to sell the company at this point, right? So they came up. They came with their first offer, and we said no. We, we won't do it. Uh, then you know, a couple of days later, they came with a second offer, uh, which was uh, significantly higher. And you know, we said no. We're not going to do it. And then they came with a third offer, and at that point, like you know, it started to become like you know, obviously you want to go on a on a certain path, but you also have to do the right thing for. Every shareholder involved, right? So, the, so you have, you have three kind of shareholders. You have, you know, your VCs, you have the founders, you have, and then you have all the employees, right? And you know, it's at, at, at the, the price of which you know we sold the company for almost uh, four billion dollars, right? So, at that price, it and and where the company was, and you know how the company was valued, we were among the highest value, uh, highest multiple uh, acquisitions in the in, in in the history of enterprise software at that point. Uh, 
the right thing to do, uh, you know, was uh, for all the shareholders, especially the employees, was to uh, was to take the acquisition. So it, it's, it wasn't that like, you know, we were going and pursuing that path and we as a company, we decided to change the strategy. It, yeah. it just happened and Cisco made an offer that, you know, at some point was the right thing for us to accept as a company. And when they came knocking, I mean, was that was that uh, directly? Uh, did they come via someone else or or how did they establish contact with you guys? Well, we, we had a relationship with them. We knew the people like, you know, we, we they were our custom, big customer already. And we, you know, we are working on a on a close business partnership with them uh, already. So we, we knew the people. They knew us. We knew, uh, you know, a lot of people there. Got it. I mean, unbelievable. Like rejecting them like three times. Weren't you getting dizzy when you were seeing all those billions passing? <laughs> <laughs> it is. You know, it is. It is. It's 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 really stressful. Uh, you know, it's I I I didn't sleep for for you know I would say. Uh, for four four days in a row because everything was moving so fast and you know we and we also had our IPO roadshow going on so we didn't want to disrupt that so it was it was kind of like a, um, a, a bit of a funny story there so we had our plan for our IPO was that we'll take our first 50 employees and they will go to Nasdaq and ring the bell uh, right and most of our first 50 employees were engineers and you know they they don't have a suit normally that they would wear so many people had these, like, you know, they had these custom suits tailored to go to the, and ring the bell on, uh, you know, the, the nest, bell on Nasdaq, and it was a big, big moment for us. And it's, so it's like, you know, when we announced, uh, you know, that we are not doing that, uh, this was just a day before the IPO, so a lot of the people were already in New York to do that. So we, we announced them and say, hey, come back, we are not doing the IPO, we are selling the, we are selling the company. So many people were so depressed and unhappy. And so we so we made a deal with Cisco. It's like you know, hey, if we close the deal here, you know, can you use your cloud with Nasdaq to still allow our employees to go and ring the bell? And yeah. you know, uh, Cisco made that happen. And you know, so once we closed the deal, we even though we didn't go IPO, we took all our employees, those the the same same team there, and we rung the bell on Nasdaq. Wow, that's amazing. So so what was it like to have those IPO conversations when when you were you know kind of like negotiating on the back end for the acquisition with Cisco? Well, so, you know, the way we did that was that we had, you know, it, it going in two different tracks. Uh, so the we our goal was like, you know, that we're not going to disrupt the IPO conversation. Uh, we have our bankers working on the IPO conversation and we had the roadshow going on. Uh, and we didn't even uh, engage our bankers who were working on IPO in this conversation. So we, we used, uh, we, we, we had it as a completely separate uh, track uh, driving the conversations with Cisco on this front. Got it. So, so make us be um, insiders for a minute here. Uh, what was the day, the day when you signed? What was what was that day like? <laughs> what was that day like when we signed? So we, uh, you know, it was kind of uh, the build up towards it was like four days of, of uh, you know, of because the, the 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 challenge was all of this had to be done within a lot of secrecy because we had the IPO going on and the IPO roadshow going on and we didn't want to disrupt it. And we didn't. We, there, there were a lot of rules around how did we, how could we talk about it and all that. So we had like these, uh, you know, lawyers' offices where we will all camp out for the, you know, for the for for three four days and and negotiate all the paperwork and all the the legal paperwork etc. Right. So normally for a deal of that size, the legal paperwork and everything takes about a month or so at least. We compressed all of that in three days. So and you know, in three days everything was compressed uh, uh, compressed to do. So it was. Uh, you know, you're, you're going through all of these, you know, fast-paced negotiations and, you know, figuring out, uh, you know, everything there. And everything, once everything got settled in, when we, when we, when we signed, 
it was it was really like you know in some ways it's it was relief uh but at the same point like you know i will tell you like as a as a as a as an entrepreneur when you sell your company doesn't matter how big of the amount is it's a very um, bittersweet kind of moment right you know you still you still feel the you know this is the, the end of a chapter like you know it was for me it was like nine years of my life that's what i did right so it's like you know you it's the when when, when the chapter ends it's a, it's it's always a bittersweet moment yeah no i can't imagine i can't imagine so what what ended up being the terms of the transaction so cisco acquired us for 3.7 billion dollars uh so that was the the financial term all all cash so everything was uh, everything was cash uh and uh uh yeah you know the the things that we also negotiated not just the the financial price was like you know what happens to the you know uh to the to our employees uh what happens to our independence as a company so the the one of the terms was that you know abdynamics as a company would mostly run as a as a quasi independent unit inside cisco so and that uh, you know that that was part that was part of it all our our team and uh, employees will remain uh, uh, you know re- remain in their setup we put in like you know a strong kind of retention program for 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 our employees so the acquisition gets gets successful so it, all those became key part of the terms and when i when i you know when i i looked at like you know the look back at the acquisition now uh, we had about uh, 400 of our, of our employees who made more than a million dollars in in uh, in the transaction right so it's like you know when i when i look at the the abdynamic journey yes we all did uh, well but i take a lot of pride in uh, that we had 400 people who made more than a million dollars it's uh, it it's a significant impact on their life that happened through that absolutely absolutely and and you were talking about retention before i mean one thing that that kind of like stood up for me was that for you there was not such thing as the typical vesting and resting as they call mm-hmm. it that uh, that you did with cisco so so why was this the case well that uh, you know that was part of uh, uh part of the the negotiation uh and uh, since i already handed off the day to day operations of the company and we had a good management team in place to ha- manage the day to day operations of the company and uh, it was uh, it, it that that transition and doing that uh, you know became possible and 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 quite reasonable as well and you know i wanted to you know after 9 years you know we had the 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 management a strong new management team in place mostly already uh, and i i wanted to to go and uh, work on the on on the next set of ideas and businesses and you know things that i wanted to do got it and and you started a, a studio a, a startup type of a studio thing which is called big labs and then you also uh, started a venture firm called unusual ventures mm-hmm. right so how unusual are the companies that you invest in <laughs> you know it's not about the companies that are unusual it's really more about the the our firm that's unusual Right, you know, uh, one of the things I, I, I realize is like, uh, as a, as a founder, what would I like from early stage venture firms? You know, it's so, and most of the what I realize is like, you know, I worked with some good firms, you know, but the the challenge is like most of the firms when you are a the, the hardest part for a founder is to, from getting from the idea that just the initial idea and like you know your 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 uh, from zero to the first million dollars of your revenue, like the first two three years are the hardest part. and what i what i realized that most venture firms actually are not helping in that stage most venture firms are like you know get some more traction and then we will come and you know come and help you and to me is like you know hey, that's where i need the most help the first 3 years is like you know when you are starting as a founder so we said we're going to start we are going to take a unusual approach in unusual ventures that we're going to focus on primarily that 
right? So we're going to focus on like you know t- uh, on building a platform that can help founders to go from that zero to first million dollars uh, much faster and in a much more uh, let's say uh, uh, in, a, in, in with, with a higher probability of success there. So what what we did with unusual ventures, we created like two unusual things. Uh, one we call uh, one we one is what we call uh, the get ahead platform. Where we provide these services to the, the these early stage founders and startups to that they will struggle with like you know, and and I I look at from my experience as a founder like what are the things that I I I wanted help on that how do I recruit my founding team you know it's really hard to do how do I find my early customers it's very hard to do how do I come up with my story and the messaging and positioning of the company that is really hard to do so we we said you know let's let's provide these as services like let's hire some of the best people who are very good at these as part of our firm in unusual ventures and then provide them as a service to the companies uh, to the early stage founders so we can help them go through those obstacles fast right so that's that that's the so our, the whole model that we do is very unusual very unlike most venture uh, venture firms that that we started and then we we also created uh, another thing called unusual academy where unusual academy is all about like teaching these early stage founders how to learn some of these skills really really fast uh, from com- people and uh, other founders who have gone through some of these challenges. Got it. And and what are some of the patterns that you see on on those founders that really have potential? And you're like, this guy's, you know, we should bet on this. <laughs> I think what I look at uh, founders, for me personally, uh, uh, the, when I think, oh, this founder looks like high potential. One is they, you know, can, can they dream big? Can, uh, you know, they do they are they ambitious? Do they think big? Because uh, it's, it's, you gotta, you gotta be, you gotta have that in you, uh, in, uh, very inherently. The number two thing I look at is, is, is like you know perseverance, like because startups are hard, and you know when you you will run into challenges and obstacles invariably. Like what are they going to do when they run into challenges? Are they you know just gonna fold and uh, are they are they are, are they gonna are they gonna work uh, uh, to find a way to uh, to overcome that challenge? So that's the second thing I learn look at. The third thing I look at is uh, is is can they learn? Because entrepreneurship is all about rapid learning. Like you have to learn so many things, uh, you know, so fast. And so it's like, do they have that mindset to learn? Like, you know, uh, can they learn? Uh, if, if if it's an engineering, uh, uh, you know, oriented founder, can they learn sales? Can they do they have the right kind of mindset that they want to learn? They you know they and and they can learn. You know, if it's a sales oriented founder, can they learn? You know, the market, the product, the technology landscape. Like you know, so it's that, and it's really. Honestly, it comes down to when I look at the the key traits, I it comes down to those three. Got it. And you definitely waited no no, no time to start your next business, Jyoti. So what's what's <laughs> happening with Harness? Yes, yeah, so uh, you know, uh, so I started this uh, startup studio called Big Labs, right? So in Big Labs, what we do is we experiment with ideas, and then uh, you know I'll spin out uh, ideas that I like, and I think could be potentially a billion dollar company. So Harness is the first uh, company that we, uh, and really the only company so far that we launched out of uh, out of my studio. Uh, Harness is uh, uh, is in what we are trying to do at Harness is like you know every business building a lot of software, but every time you make changes in software, it's a very complex process. Like say so if you are a large bank and you make changes in your online banking and you want to do it like multiple times a day so that you could be innovative, you know, how do we simplify that process and make it more reliable? So we, the idea at Harness is to bring artificial intelligence uh, to and automation to solve and redefine software delivery. So, so, so far, you know, we are doing really well. Uh, we are about 100 employees growing very fast, uh, you know, uh, 
this comparing to my last company abdanamics we are you know we are, we are growing at about more than 2 2x uh, of abdanamics uh, at that stage uh, so uh, but still early got it got it and i'm sure you had to probably wear like a mask or a helmet from all the money that people were throwing at you when when you probably said that you were raising money why why did you raise money from outside investors well yeah so uh, at hannes we raised about 25 million dollars Uh, and then we brought in fifteen million dollars of uh, outside capital, and you know there, the I want to make sure that Harness runs as a as as a proper uh, you know startup and company going through some of the same challenges. You know there is the the outside validation from investors. There is the like you know there is the the governance and uh, and board cadence etc. So there is an advantage of bringing uh, you know outside investors there. and then the the company is going through a high growth trajectory right so the high growth trajectory i want to make sure that you know we have uh, we have a, we have a, we have a broad pool of investors as we go through the next phases of of growth like and as we go from you know we grew from nothing to about 100 employees in just in 2 years so very fast growth and then as we grow from 100 employees to 500 employees to you know potentially 2000 employees over the next 5 5 years 8 years uh we that we start building the right kind of practices in the company that that can bring in more and more investors uh, to, uh, for our growth got it and thanks to up dynamics you were able to to work and experience some of the best investors in the world uh, really in 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 start when it comes to startups so what were you really looking for in an investor when thinking about outside investors to bring on to this to this new project you know what i was looking for i always look at as investors like first of all like someone who is a, i call it like who is a believer as in like they will believe in the company in the vision and like what i'm trying to do right so it's like you know now at at harness we have a we have a very big uh, vision and a big goal uh, that we want to completely redefine how people build software uh, applications and how they do, which is which is uh, a massive massive uh, you know goal so uh, i look at like people someone who would be a believer in in that so who could be a who could be aligned and be a partner in this for the very long term so that's one thing second is i look at uh, you know people who could uh, uh, you know who could who could help uh, when when i need help on on different things but at the same time uh, uh, would uh, understand how to work with a high growth company have the right kind of experience so the investor that i brought in i have worked with uh, work, he was at kleiner perkins an investor in uh abdanamics at that time and you know i knew like you know would be a would be a right kind of partner to uh, to bring in the company and uh, i i uh, you know i have brought him in uh, many many times it's not just the firm that you're bringing in is also the person right like you know if you what kind of uh, uh, you know a person would they be on your board you know how can they help you you as a company you know how would the working dynamic uh, and doing it the second time you know i have the advantage of of like you know i i know a lot of these investors and i have the luxury to and to pick the you know uh pick pick the ones that I would like to work with that's a really nice luxury to have uh, for sure so 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 jyoti I, i always like to ask this question to the guests mm-hmm. that that participate on the show and that is if you could go to the past and give yourself advice just one one piece of advice before launching a business what would that be and why <clears throat> one piece of advice before launching a business i would say you know it's <laughs> when i when i was starting uh, harness right as my second company after abdanamics and i was i was actually going through this like you know okay what did i really learn from abdanamics that i would like to bring to harness after all you know 9 years of uh, of abdanamics 
And I realized, like, you know, the, the, the formula that I kind of learned is actually quite simple. And so, so but where, where, and my formula really comes to this, like, you know, that there are five things I need to make sure that are right. And if I, and it's, that's, it's, that's it. And it's not too more complex than that. Number one is that make sure your market is large. That if you're, if you're going after a very small market, it would become very, very hard to build a, build, build a good business. Number two is make sure that your product is in the top one or two in the market. Because it's beyond that, it becomes very hard to uh, to really win in any market. Number three is make sure you have world class sales and marketing. Because it's it's uh, in most markets, it's not just the product. Like you can't be just the number one or number two product in the market. Uh, you have to really create world class sales and marketing come with that. Number four, you know, make sure to take care of your customers. And by that I mean like no lip service to that. Just like really, really, really take care of your customers. Uh, and number five, make sure to create the right culture in the company where the culture is open and transparent and like, you know, smart people can thrive in your company. They want to work in your company. And really that's, that's it. Like, and I look at like, you know, if, you, I, if I just get these five things right, everything else will just happen, ha- happen from these. So when I look at like, you know, I wish like when I was starting app dynamics, someone told me these five and I was, uh, when I'm doing harness, I look at, okay, these are the five things I'm going to focus on. Everything else, uh, you know, will just just happen from this. I love it. I love it. So, so Jyoti, what is the best way for folks that are listening to reach out and say hi? Um, people can uh, connect me on LinkedIn. People can follow me on Twitter. Uh, or, you know, uh, I think that would be the best way. Okay, fantastic. Well, Jyoti, it has been a pleasure to have you on the DealMaker Show today. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. You've reached the end of another episode of the DealMakers Podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.